Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase the people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know that we need so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens. In these diversity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, the Talent Surgery, the Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of them all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me for more information to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through my LinkedIn or at nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today, we are joined by Rebecca Duckworth, the Chief Sales Marketing Officer for QuoteFi, a UK-based fintech providing end-to-end finance software for asset, auto and consumer finance companies. Rebecca was in internet banking before internet banking was even a thing so has lived and breathed the financial space for many, many years. She's passionate about innovation and adaptability, and she's here to share her story with us. So, um, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on to do an episode with me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So let's start with you telling us about QuoteVine and what makes you guys unique. Okay. So when I think about what makes QuoteVine unique, it's, it's, it's three things. Um, it's our team, and I'll talk a little bit about that uh, mm-hmm. in a second. Um, the tech that we're providing and our approach, uh, which is kind of the secret sauce, <laughs> uh, which gives us uh, creative and innovative, relevant solutions for our customers. So in terms of the team, I think that the reason why we are different is the diversity of the team. Not just the diversity in terms of what you would call general diversity, race, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation, et cetera, gender, um, but the diversity of the backgrounds that they come from. Yeah. I, and I think of diversity that way as well. Um, so not everyone comes from our specific background, uh, meaning not everybody's an automotive finance expert. Um, we look for people that fit the culture of the company and people that will provide creativity and different viewpoints, ways of thinking uh, and working. And so that's how I, I I kind of think about our diversity and our team. Well, I love the sound of that. Um, now, what about um, your role, um, Chief of Sales Marketing Officer? Um, I know that you're really experienced within strategy and building propositions. Um, so I really wanted you to share with us how you've, you've done that and what, what your plans are with uh, QuoteVine. Yeah, so when I came into QuoteVine, QuoteVine was, uh, had been around a long time, um, but really run as a kind of a, a lifestyle business for our CEO, uh, Daniel Lane, um, had built the business from scratch um, and had some great uh, different sorts of bits of technology in the market, but hadn't been joined up uh, in terms of what the go-to-market strategy was in general. So when I came into the company, it was a matter of looking at all the different markets that we could be in, looking at what tech we had, what holes were in the tech in order to, to put together what those propositions 
questions are. Um, as well, hiring and developing a sales team, <laughs> developing a marketing team, um, and developing a partnership team that has gotten us to, to where we are. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing thus far um, in what I've contributed to Quotevon is helping uh, raise um, our first round of funding, which was done last year. Oh, uh, congratulations. A, thank you. A series A round of funding for 2.2 million um, with a, a, a Northern fund called Mercia. Uh, so uh, that was specifically to help fuel growth um, and build out the product, which which we thought was going to happen a little bit more this year, but we had COVID, which yeah. has actually been quite an interesting uh, time for us. It's given us the ability to build out some things that we needed in order to go strong uh, into 2021. So um, exciting! We've uh, we've come out with four new four new things out of COVID in terms of new propositions. Um, Basically, the way we look at things is finding problems and talking to the customer, using our tech to solve them, uh, and then trying to mimic that across multiple different places within organizations. So, exciting times. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. And I think what I love um, love hearing when I when I talk to you is that there's just such a low fear fear bar, you know, of, of change and, and like you, you just, you see a challenge, you see a problem and you're going to solve it and you're going to work out how to attack that challenge. Just, just even saying that through COVID, you've now got four new propositions and, you know, it's fantastic. And when you've spoken to me about your journey and your journey to, to this current position, every example you gave me was of how you you looked at a problem and, and you, you brought a strategy to it and you left a place that you started at much better when you moved on from it. So I'd love for you to share with the audience a bit about your journey because having first spoke to you a few weeks ago, I felt super inspired to be more strategic in how I work at Harrington Star. And that's really, that like you've left a really good impression on me and made me, me want to be a bit more strategic. So I'd love you to share that with the audience. Yeah, so, you know, I usually start talking about my journey in that very, very early on, um, right out of uni, um, a very wise person once told me, find what you know and what you're good at and find technology in it and you will always have a job. <laughs> um, and, and, I th and I still tell all young people that. I think it's even more relevant in the world today than it was 20 years ago. But um, that was pretty insightful for uh, the mid-90s um, in terms of that. So my career started in banking and finance. Um, I worked uh, in, in the trading desk, so in kind of uh, stock market-ish, <laughs> but at a bank. Um, I quickly learned that that probably wasn't what I wanted to do for long term. So I pivoted and I said, hmm, if I know banking, what about something in technology with banking? Um, and so I went to work for a small firm that was one of the first digital banking firms. And uh, I had no sales experience <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, and they said, oh, we'll hire you for training. Um, and didn't know anything about training. And they said, well, we don't have any customers. Could you sell something? <laughs> and so they set me down with a PowerPoint and a phone book. And 18 months later, we'd sold a couple of million pounds worth of software dollars back then. Um, and um, the company was sold to another company and so on and goes the history. So from there, went to work for the, the, uh, the kind of de facto digital banking firm called Digital Insight in, in America um, and stayed there 
a long time, I think about 15 years, if I'm, if I'm reading my, my CV correctly, um, and did lots of different things there from, from regional selling to national selling to, to um, looking at different parts of the business and partnerships and new products and so on and so forth, all the way through um, uh, being part of the team that looked at selling the, selling the business off, uh, which was subsequently sold off to Intuit. But one hat's off, I had a fantastic leader at Digital Insight, who I'm still very close friends with named, but one hat's off, I had a fantastic leader at Digital Insight, who I'm still very close friends with named Cece Morkin, um, who was my mentor. Um, she is now the president and CEO, oh, president and COO of Headspace, which I don't know if that's a, it's a new one. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yep, yep. It's all about um, creating um, empathetic workspaces and, and interesting interesting bits uh, around how to how to help uh, people with meditation and so on and so forth so mental wellness right mm -hmm. which is which is exactly what she taught was leading with empathy um, which I think you can only take you can take that uh, away from my experience at digital insight which was always giving people the opportunity to grow and do new things learn things and do it with empathy so once Digital Insight was acquired by Intuit, I stayed on at Intuit in the financial services division for the next two and a half to three years. Um, it was an amazing experience. Intuit is consistently ranked in the top five companies globally to work for. And I think probably the most obvious reason is the values that they put at the center of their business, um, noting integrity without compromise, diversity and inclusion, and giving back to the community. Um, I met some amazing people there that I'm still friends with um, all over the world. I think probably the biggest thing I learned there was the process that they use for building products and propositions called Design for Delight. Basically, it's using ethnographic research and watching people do their work and putting the customer in the middle of product design to create products that solve problems that we probably didn't even know about, as well as <clears throat> asking the customer to be in the process and using uh, empathy when designing products uh, and services. Um, and that's something that I've carried forth into um, Quotevine and to Fiserv where I um, helped put together products and propositions there. So I did stay with, into it for about two and a half, three years until uh, that financial services division was eventually sold off and is now the NCR Global Digital Platform. And as I said, after that, I uh, moved on to Fiserv. And I love that journey. And one of the things that really resonates, and you mentioned it a number of times, is the empathy and the helping of others and, and you know, finding a really good solution to problems. I know that you believe in the philosophy of stop selling and start helping. So I wanted you to share a bit of that with us, please. Yeah, I mean, it very, a long time ago, uh, was assigned a book <laughs> uh, to read that is about gaining a seat at the table. When you're when you're in in sales um, and marketing, um, and it's a simple philosophy. It all the customer cares about is value, right? Um, and in order to have value and add value, you have to understand their strategy. Um, and understanding their strategy is having conversations with them about what is business strategy as well as what is their personal strategy. Again, comes back to being very open and transparent in the conversations. And with that, helping them with your thought leadership and industry knowledge helps you gain a seat at the table. 
through trust and empathy. <laughs> and, and with that, they want to attach their cart to your horse, right? Yeah. Um, and you bring them on the journey with you. It's about having a partnership instead of about selling a product. Um, and so I try to instill that in all of my team, whether it's someone selling a partnership or someone selling software or someone dealing with marketing people, it's just a better way to do business. It's, it's a better way to have personal relationships, actually. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. Because this, you know, everyone talks about their job being, you know, actually a huge part of their life. And sometimes their job takes over any other part of their life. So it's got to be something that you enjoy, that you, you, gain, you gain that happiness factor from. So I really like that. Yeah, it is. And also, I think that as much as we talked about the video bit of this and COVID, there is as much part to someone purchasing something as it is about them wanting to have a friendship with you. Mm. And that's probably, I probably didn't articulate that exact, the exact way, but when someone is purchasing something that is a, so important to their job, it may be in that they, it, they could risk losing their job if it didn't go correctly, that having the right uh, relationships with the people and the trust that's there makes even more um, sense for them it, it, to, to have a relationship with the people, especially when you're talking millions and millions of pounds of software. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that kind of takes me on to the, the next question because during COVID, and you've mentioned this earlier, um, you were able to boast strength in your business. Um, you spoke about the four different propositions. It'd be great if you could share with us how you adapted and how you spearheaded that. Yeah. So um, one of the, I would say it wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a proposition. This was called commercial innovation, Nadia. <laughs> One of the things that we, we focused on during COVID was the fact that in the UK, there was a problem with SMEs getting their hands on the C-bills and the B-bills money quickly or the bounce back loans. Um, and it's because the UK government utilized the same way that they did it in 2018. Um, when there was a, oh no, 2008, sorry, uh, when, when we had the downturn in the economy, they went straight to the big banks to try to do this. And, and in fact, we all know that, first of all, the SMEs don't usually have a relationship with the bank. They have an account with the bank, but they usually uh, have a relationship with a fintech sort of uh, oriented company like a Starling or a Tide uh, or even a specialist asset finance firm um, that may be uh, specialized in, you know, if it was a caterer, maybe catering equipment um, or a small business that did bicycles or something like that, it may be asset finance, but definitely not banking. And so when the C bills and the B bills, uh, proposition came out from the government, um, it just wasn't fast enough. The, the banks weren't able to process the applications fast enough, um, and there was just a holdup of the cash in the marketplace. And so we saw a gap, um, and, and quite frankly, the fintechs weren't included in the first round of this. And I know Innovate Finance uh, and a few of the other trade bodies were helping to try to get some of the um, fintechs included. But in, in this, Asset finance was included because they are banks, <laughs> and, but but the but the SMEs most SMEs didn't know that asset finance was a form that they could utilize, and so part of what we did was create a narrative around helping educate SMEs around asset finance. What is asset finance? How do I access asset finance? And where do I get asset finance? In that, it was very clear to us that 
All the asset finance banks utilize mostly a broker or an introducer market in order to sell their asset finance to the SMEs. And these brokers usually operate in a very manual fashion. <laughs> and so <clears throat> even if we were referring business down that road or teaching people to go that way, they weren't able to get the money any faster through, through those uh, asset finance brokers than they would have through a large bank. So we put together a proposition using our technology called the Asset Finance Quick Start Package for Brokers, which um, had a huge amount of um, interest in and are implementing a number of these uh, asset finance brokers now on our software uh, to, to be able to help them process applications quickly and push those applications to the lenders and get money into the UK SME hands faster. So, wow. Finding a problem, finding a problem and um, trying to fix it. Uh, this was not a specifically a new product for us, but it was a way that we marketed the products relevant to what was going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I think I love that. that that's, what, that's what I meant when I said earlier, you know, it's really, having spoken to you before, it's really sort of made me think more clearly about our business and, and oh. you know, problems aren't something that we should shy away from. And I think, um, you know, if we can all face problems with the attitude that you bring to them and think about how we can pivot, how we can actually utilize that, that problem and bring a solution to it, we become better and stronger. So, you know, I kind of wanted to put that thinking to, um, to, to actually the work that needs to be done in the industry with regards to diversity and inclusion. We, we know that we're, we're not necessarily moving quick enough forwards towards a more equal workplace. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on what we can do towards helping create a more diverse workforce and what your what I suppose your top tips would be for those listening yeah so you know it's a funny one because I I've never actually thought about how do you, how do, how I do it <laughs> it's more just like um it just kind of comes naturally because that's the way that I think and operate but um, I was talking with uh, my marketing manager, who happens to be directly out of uni, um, about what she thought about diversity in the workplace. Um, and I think it's twofold, right? I think diversity uh, it comes from offering um, a different type of workplace, um, specifically uh, a few things uh, that we've learned out of COVID, like working from home. Right. Um, typically, funny enough, our CEO was very much about everyone coming to the office because he, we, he and I both grew up in the same sort of environment where, you know, you work for a bank, you show up at nine, you leave at five, you wear the suit, you do the, do the walk, the walk, do the talk, and, you know, whatever happened in your life other than that didn't matter, <laughs> right? It was just, this is your job. And so one of the things that he said on our last company meeting was that he's learned in COVID, everyone can be productive outside of the outside of office and that, you know, we're not planning anytime soon bringing back a mandate as we were talking about before we started the podcast to come back to the office um, because some people feel comfortable and some people don't. But what we learned is that some of the people that we had working only part time could really work full time um, because they had balance and they were able to do things like take care of their children um, if they had a feeble parents, any sort of thing like that, which gave, gave us some opportunity to think about how we might uh, think about workforce going forward. Um, because we might be able to have a full-time position where we're doing work from home and have flexible working hours to different types of people that we weren't generally looking at for, for positions. I also think that as a company, we focus heavily on technology 
because our CEO is a technology person. He is also the CTO and he's always looking for better ways of working. I think millennials, Gen Z, Gen Y, Gen X are all, um, they get frustrated if they don't have the right technology or technology that they're used to using. Um, and so making sure that we have swift, fast technology that's easy to use, that's um, uh, less corporate <laughs> and, more, and more usable is something that's um, important for that. Um, flexible holiday is another, another bit. So you can buy and sell your holiday that gives different types of people different, different ways of doing things. But um, most, most of all, I think once we have um, diversity, having fast, often communication and having people give their inputs. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's a, big, a big part of our organization, which if you come back to what I actually said at the very beginning, what I think the US, one of the USPs is about our company is the fact that we've been able to hire people that are young, that are old, um, that are uh, from different types of backgrounds, some from banking, some from technology, some from, you know, uni. <laughs> my, my marketing manager worked for Penguin Books, um, which has nothing to do with, with finance. Um, and uh, I think that what that allows us to do is get all sorts of different opinions about how things uh, can work, um, the ways that we should work for things and solutions for the customers, which is why I think that having a diverse group of people um, and backgrounds is so important for businesses to be successful today um, because if you have the same thing over and over and over again it's never going to change well i think that's a great way to draw the podcast to a close because you know what we're trying to do here is is move things forward for equality but at the same time we, we this is a pledge to to the ceos as well to understand that businesses are going to be more successful when you have more, more opinions in the room. So I absolutely love that you ended the podcast on that. And I've got to say that was a wonderful podcast. You shared so much with us. And I know that the people listening, they'll be wanting to take some of your lessons and put them into their day to day. So thank you for being so open and honest. It's been a pleasure having you on the series. Thank you. I've loved having the chat. <laughs>